Park. It's an 87th Precinct podcast bonus episode. This is the bonus episode for our look at the book Kiss, the 44th of the 87th Precinct novels. A tale of courtroom drama and romantic drama and twists and turns and we rated it very highly will we rate the book covers as highly is the question so what i will do is i will go straight to mr morgan brown to have a look at the very first one i sent over which is the u.s hardback edition okay um assuming i'm looking at the right one i think i am um so what we've got uh is it's kind of like it looks looks a bit like a charcoal kind of drawing with with some kind of coloring in of uh the, the a subway platform yeah with, a, with an oncoming train got some fairly sort of striking perspective going on and that's that's pretty much it really it's another one that looks like a, a photo that's gone through an instagram filter doesn't it, it does a bit yeah. yeah i quite like that looks quite uh moody yeah, even though the subway train bit of the book is played out on like two pages at the start and then is never mentioned again. <laughs> well, but that's true. Having jumped to the other ones, it's got more relevance to the plot than the others. <laughs> oh, well, you can explain the uh, the US paperback one then, Steve, which is the next one down. Or should be. It's just a black cover with black, even blacker, well, a grey cover, I suppose, with black Ed McBain and then a green kiss that's like written in blood and then with a big pool of blood under it which has no relevance to anything really no it's a bit i mean it one out of ten i'd be pushed to go to one really um it's yeah it's william morrow and co published the hardback avon published the paperback in america I'll describe the next one, which is the UK hardback, which is a black cover with the words Ed McBain in big red letters and then a very airbrushed, cartoony lower half of a lady's face with a sort of puckered lips. (laughs) Uh, No teeth showing on this one. And then it says a novel of the 87th Precinct. And whilst I'm at it, I will also describe the UK (laughs) paperback edition, which is also a sort of black background. It just says McBain kiss his new novel of the 87th precinct. And then it's a different close up of a mouth of a kissy red lips with, well, I thought it was a teeth, but now I'm looking, it's not really got any divisions between the actual teeth. So maybe it's, she's got a polo in her mouth or something. <laughs> I assume it's meant to be teeth, but I know what you mean. An extra strong mint in <laughs> something like that. You do wonder why, why they bothered to redo the cover since it's, almost exactly the same yeah they're they're not good the only good thing about the cover of the uk paperback uh, is that you can take the cover of widows which is like the eyes and a nose and a veil and you can stick them together to make a sort of weird face yeah so so i'll, I'll do that and i'll put it i'll put it on the uh, the instagram cool and i've thrown a bonus one in there which i'll i'll give to steve to describe which is an italian edition yeah well this has got this is the opposite. A lot of detail. Um, there's uh, Mrs. Emma Bowles in her fur coat running away in a snowy scene from being pursued that looks like a Ford Granada. Uh, <laughs> trying to run her down, which I'm sure it wasn't. And a, and a, a lady, all a pen, a pen coloured in pencil drawer in this, it looks to me. Yeah. And you see the skyscrapers in the background and a lady with a pram on looking. 
Yeah, yeah, so that'll be the the Swedish girl who comes in to say she saw someone yeah. something yeah. happen at the start. And Emma Bowles is kind of running out of the picture towards us, going, ah! That's what it looks like, anyway. <laughs> Very much so. I quite Very like that so. one, yeah. That's good. Yeah, I like the Italian editions, the Il, Il Giallo. Very Mondadori. literal. Just, it is literal, but it's got a nice pulpy feel to it still, yeah, I think. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And it also gives the impression that whoever's designed it has actually read at least part of the book which you know feels like a bonus yeah yeah so we know that the u.s hardback they've read at least chapter one (laughs) this one they've read at least chapter one and two the italian (laughs) one Uh, and the the rest of the designs they've just looked at the title yep (laughs) and that's it how how do we score these not highly i don't think really no i I think i think the uh, the first one the first one I, i quite like that's a bit of bit of uh, yeah, atmosphere to that. The, the others are all total garbage, apart from the yeah, Italian the, one with the those, four uh, Those UK ones, I think we were saying the, the uh, last time that the, we had some designs that were reminiscent of sort of, I don't know, Jackie Collins novels or something. Yeah, and they're, yeah, they're yeah. Just very much along the same lines as that, isn't it? Totally, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the UK publisher that was William Heinemann in, in hardback and Mandarin in paperback, and it, this is the last book that they put out for McBain in the UK. So we should, in theory, have a different design for the next book we come to mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, so what editions have we got? I've got just the UK paperback version. As have I. So I have, yeah. Mine cost four ninety nine when it was new. Yeah, mine too. Uh, mine, mine also. It was 50p when I bought it from wherever I brought yeah. it. Yeah, oh, it's got a big list of all the books Oof. in order, though. It has, which is a, a very, very rare, a rarity, I think. Which um, I know those newer editions, the Orions, are the they yeah. have, but it's quite rare for an older one. Yes, I mean, nineteen ninety-two, but like we say, it's twenty-nine years old. <laughs> old now, so anyway, yeah. But yeah, it's just rubbish design, isn't it? Really, there's not much to say. But what is there to smell is the question. <laughs> See, I've remembered this time. Oh, yeah, well, I nearly forgot. Mm, kind of a old wardrobe. <laughs> kind of a old wardrobe odour. All right. I'm just looking at the sp- uh, mine from the like the top, and I notice some pages are slightly yellowing. Yeah, I'll, mine's I'll, I'll, I'll go in. kept well, this. Must be, like, poor quality paper mm. paper mine's, milling mine's very papery smelling funnily <laughs> enough but not yeah, there's not much there not much story to that smell in my oh. one okay well let, let's have a go at this one. Oh, d- d- disappointingly bland yeah. sounds like you're rubbing it along a carpet <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's, there's quite a lot of sort of um yeah discoloration to, to, to the paper on this as well so I thought there might be an, an interesting order to go with it but no no such luck just crap paper stock yeah I yeah. think so but anyway cover design by Button Design Co and I'm afraid they've had very bad reviews from us over these last few books anyway <laughs> yeah they need to so they need to button up oh yeah <laughs> so anyway yeah like I say we'll see what comes of the UK editions from the next book which should be different let's get into a bit of 1992-ing then 
Uh, I was going to ask, actually, because I haven't asked this for a little while, what have, what have we been reading outside of the 87th Precinct recently? Uh, Morgan, before you start, before we started, you were telling me about uh, Neil Stevenson book. Oh, yes, that was my most recent thing. I just finished um, the uh, Fall, Fall or Dodge in Hell by Neil Stevenson, which uh, was in characteristic style is a, a, a 800 page brick of a book i was um, gonna say they're always the size of a house <laughs> but uh yeah like as usual as well completely fascinating and compelling um a really good read i'd uh, very much recommend it it's one of these that you're, you're sort of thinking about for a good couple of weeks after you finish it um yeah yeah he's, yeah, he's a fascinating writer and i've sort of got several house-sized volumes on my shelf which i try to gird myself for reading at some point what have you been uh, digging into steve i read um last week uh, recoil by jim thompson I don't know. oh have, yeah yeah have you ever read that i think i, I think i've got it downstairs the one where, where i've read it now bloke gets sprint well uh, uh, um he gets released into the custody of this guy in this southern u.s town released from prison and yeah. you know he's there for some reason but you can't you don't really know why and it all it's all a bit strange yeah that was good yeah yeah I've, i haven't read that one i've never read a bad jim thompson though no exactly no that's uh, it, it's one that's been on my bookshelf for probably 10 years just sitting there you know mm-hmm. as one does holds books and i just thought yeah i'm in the mood for one of them Yes, that was good. And then I'm chipping away at my 900-page Harold Wilson biography, um, which which is very interesting, but you don't really want to read 900 pages uh, to the exclusion of everything else, so I'm about (laughs) halfway through that. Has it got to the point where he he sees his pipe and goes, a pipe? Yes, a pipe. That's what I'll have. He's not quite (laughs) Prime Minister yet. That's uh, about 1960, I'm up to. (laughs) Excellent. Yes, I've been try to read a few more of the paperback science fiction books I've got on my shelf. So I read one called uh, The Watcher by Joanne Palmer from 1986, which was a very interesting, slightly comic tale about supernatural space entity bird women cool. and earth as well but but it was uh, re- it was really really good hmm. I, I inherited i say inherited that makes it sound like she's <laughs> passed away i got from my friend francis peacock a lot of sci-fi paperbacks when she finished her ma in in science fiction and she couldn't bear to look at them anymore <laughs> so they would either have gone to a charity shop but instead they came to me and filled my house up instead and that's one that's been sat there for a long time and uh, yeah, I enjoyed that very much. I like dipping in between other books to the sci-fi shelf and just, you know, <laughs> having one of the smaller sci-fi books, not the Neil Stevenson-sized ones. But <laughs> I don't know. I might get stuck into a big, big book again. I haven't read any big books this year yet anyway. So there we go. That's some catch up with our reading. But let's catch up with the past and the music of um 7th of january 1992 is the date that this the book was copyright so that's when i've taken the charts from and yeah interesting stuff so i'll go from 10 till 1 on uh, the us charts to start with and we start with at number 10 wild side by marky mark and the funky bunch <laughs> amazing we go to number nine. We've got finally by. I'm going to pr- assume I'm pronouncing this right. I don't think I've ever said it out loud. CC Peniston. Yes, I can see how you might have paused to just wonder how that surname was pronounced if you hadn't heard it said before. Yeah. yeah. 
eight is Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, which is the George Michael Elton oh, yeah. John duet. And at seven, we come to an absolute classic here. It's Adam's Groove by MC Hammer, <laughs> which was Brilliant. the um, single attached to the Adams Family movie, wasn't it? Yeah. And yeah, can't fault Hammer. But number six in the American charts, Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. Uh, so that's our most high-profile grunge one, isn't it, so far? Quite, yeah. But he's he's in a hammer sandwich. <laughs> Kurt Cobain is in a hammer sandwich because at number five is too legit to quit by MC Hammer. And at number four, it's it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday by Boys to Men. <clears throat> so smooth, so smooth. Very smooth. And at three, it's Can't Let Go by Mariah Carey. Don't know that one. Uh, so, uh, number two is All for Love by Colour Me Bad. Uh, um, I. I I think they may have just had more hits in the States than they had over here. I, I don't remember them having many more hits apart from I Want to Sex You Up over here. Yeah. But it's quite enough for anyone, I would have thought. But Yes, let alone all four with four as a number. <laughs> Love. Quite what that means, I don't know. I'm sure the lyrics explain it adequately. And at number one, it's Black or White by Michael Jackson. Ugh. So we'll Let's move on from that to the UK <laughs> charts. So number 10 in the UK charts. So this, I mean, this is interesting in the sense that America, we've got that big slab of grunge right in the middle, like the, the flagship single for the grunge yeah. movement. Here at number 10 in the UK charts, we've got Everybody in the Place EP by The Prodigy. Ah, uh, yeah. Which is probably representative of... As as important a movement going on here in terms yeah, of dance music, pretty significant cultural shift uh, going on. I guess it'd be music for the jilted generation around then, possibly. I I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's it's easy to sort of go all oh, guitars and just say it's grunge is the big thing that emerges. But the fact that you have got the prodigy in the top ten uh. is is interesting. And we've got above that though, we've got Goodnight Girl by Wet Wet Wet. So we've not fully dedicated ourselves to rave yet. Um, uh, and at eight, same as in America, we've got Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me by George Michael Elton John. And at number seven, we've got Rhubarb and Custard by Shaft. Oh, gosh, yeah, well. That was just the Rhubarb and Custard theme, wasn't it? With I think the Rhubarb and Custard theme with a banging rave beat. Yes. Wow. Yeah, pretty Sounds much. great, that. It was, uh, yeah, those are the days. Yeah, I think I'll have to share that one on on our Twitter feed because uh, if no one knows rhubarb and custard and anyone who's not uh, British probably doesn't. Um yeah, it's a great it was a great theme tune in and of itself, but uh, yeah. Is that the one that went Yep. Yeah. That's it's basically the, the high watermark of all dance music. <laughs> yes, indeed. And uh at number 6 we got When You Tell Me That You Love Me by Diana Ross. Mm -hmm. that's you know in what would be probably what's that 60s 70s 80s 90s fourth fourth decade of diana ross hits indeed still knocking out the uh the huge torch songs yeah we've got at number five too blind to see it by kim sims kim sims i don't remember that one no at number four we've got adam's groove by (laughs) hammer it's i was looking on the official uk charts it just had it listed as hammer yeah, I think he sort of rebranded himself at some point, didn't he? I, I, 
I, I don't know what at what point he dropped the MC, but yeah. yeah. Um, and at number three, we've got a song by everyone's favourite mask-denying idiots, right said Fred, oh, God. with Don't Talk, Just Kiss. Uh, why Why they're in the news? Because of their anti-mask stance. I don't... Oh, just weird people. Uh, number two, Justified and Ancient by KLF <laughs> featuring Tammy Wynette. Fantastic. That's that's great, really, isn't it? It's just weird that that was at number two. <laughs> just um, the, uh, the, the the fact of them getting Tammy Wynette to sing those lyrics is, is terrific. Yeah. And at number one, we have the double A-side, presumably, of Bohemian Rhapsody and These Are The Days Of Our Lives mm. from Queen. Quite a few good albums come out, but, uh, I mean, we'll get onto our album picks in a little bit. I did struggle, actually, but uh, there's a few good things coming out oh, there, especially, I must mention, special mention now, Tubular Bells 2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Mike Oldfield makes the most of <laughs> of those notes again. <laughs> He's only done three versions of Tubular Bells, hasn't he? Or has he done a four? No, did, oh. uh, he did Millennium Bells, didn't he? Oh, and did God. he do Tubular Bells 3 as well? I have, a, I have a sneaky feeling there might be four versions. Oh, bloody hell. Oh, well. <laughs> we always like to mention Mike Oldfield because we've got a close friend who's, who really, really likes him. and uh, yeah. But he's touring, I think. I, I think pops up on Facebook the other day for uh, booking tickets to the Royal Albert Hall. Wow. For Tubular Bell's 100th anniversary next year. (laughs) 100th anniversary. (laughs) Like the idea you could have bought it on wax cylinder. Yep. Um, (laughs) Excellent. Okay. Well, let's go to the cinema for a little bit then. Oh, highest grossing films. Any thoughts? 1992? Well, I had had a look at the bloody... I thought the cinema was absolutely dreadful in 1992. Mm. Yeah, fairly slim pickings, weren't they? Yeah, the, what was big that I saw on there? Uh, maybe Last of the Mohicans was that quite a big one? Or The Unforgiven? It, it, it didn't get into the top. Neither of those two got um, into the top ten. Batman yeah. Returns. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Batman Returns got into the top ten at number six. What, who were the baddies in Batman Returns? Uh, Catwoman and the Penguin. I think. Oh yes. Is that right? Yeah, I think so, that's right. The, the, the Christmas movie of the series. I might have seen that in the cinema. Hmm. I might have seen that. Might have been one of the. We went as a family to that. I certainly saw one of the Batman movies in the cinema. Oh, I don't um, know. I may have blocked it out. Been a bit of a, a renewed spike of interest in it. I think in the last couple of days, as a an onset video of um, Michelle Pfeiffer has, has surfaced with a sort of um, doing the thing where she whips the heads off these mannequins in a single take. Yes, I've seen that. It's, well, <laughs> Which is it's pretty it's, cool. It is, yeah. And then skips off using the whip as a, as a skipping <laughs> rope. It's, it's, it's a strange one, that. Really. Yeah, so that's that's in the top top ten anyway. Um, well, let's, let's I'm going to go from one to ten this time. I'm going to count, count down. So from uh, Aladdin is number one. Oh, yeah, of course huge like i say we've been talking about the disney revival it's really in full swing here taking you know 504 million dollars uh the bodyguard oh god oh of course yeah yeah um the important thing about that is that dolly parton made a lot of money well off, off the success of the song from that yeah, deservedly so yes because uh, um dolly's brilliant yes 
Uh, then we've got Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Oh, God, Trump. Yeah, I know. It's hard <laughs> to not think about that now, isn't it? Uh, number four, Basic Instinct. Oh. So, big thriller. Number five, Lethal Weapon 3. I don't think I've seen Lethal Weapon 3. No. I might have done. I don't know. I lose track of which one's which. And then we have Batman Returns. And we have A Few Good Men. I don't, I don't think I've seen that, actually. No, I, I was reading down the list before, and I thought, I, it took me quite a while, and I was thinking, I'm at this rate, not sure I've ever seen a film made in 1992. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Was, to be honest, there wasn't a lot. <laughs> no, no, again, I struggled with, with sort of coming up with something. Uh, Sister Act is at number eight. Oh, yeah. At uh, above Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, that's a big yawn fest, isn't it? <laughs> I know. Another supposedly more authentic retelling of the tale that isn't at all. Yeah. And then at number 10, Wayne's World, which yes. at least is, yeah. is <laughs> worth watching. And there's, yeah, there's some odd things come out. Like, you know, you mentioned Last of the Mohicans, things like that. We also have things like Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Oh, yeah. Probably one of the ones that's had the best reputation. You have um, Alien Cubed, Alien 3, which I maintain is still a great film, even though people do not agree with me, generally speaking. Uh And uh, the other giant monster film, Beethoven. Oh, God. Oh, and uh, Pray Silence for the Lawnmower Man, a film which is that most wonderful of things, a thing that tries to tackle the technology of the day and predict the future, and in doing so, condemns itself to look out of date almost immediately. It, it, it looks like the whole thing, I seem to recall, looking a bit like the video for Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. Yes, it does. In fact, now it looks like an outtake from Tomorrow's World where they were demonstrating it something does. that would be the future and it's never turned up again. Um, but, yeah. Am I right in thinking that this is also the last time when we can discuss uh, the year's carry-on film? Oh, did I mention that? Uh, oh, gosh. Have I missed it? I, I think. I think it's, it's oh, this year, is it? Do you know what? You know what, Morgan? Thank heavens you're here because everyone <laughs> would... I, I will bleep the swear that I just did before. Um, it's 1992. It's carry-on Columbus. How did I not write that down? I was just looking at it because I, I looked at a list of, of some films that came out in the year and it didn't mention Carry On Columbus, but it did mention several other films about Columbus. And I thought, ah. <laughs> yes, because of the 1492 Conquest of Paradise and the essentially anniversary of Columbus and 1492, the Carry On team, having not made a film since 1978... <laughs> decide to make a new carry-on film called Carry On Columbus. Oh, Lord. Were, were, were any yeah. of, like, the original gang in it? Well, not original, but, like... Well, Jim Dale was the lead in it. Yeah. Oh. So, in 1992? Yeah. Blimey. There's a few, a few all... of the old crew, aren't there? Um... Yeah. Um, Bernard Cribbins is in it. Yep. Leslie Phillips is in it. Uh, Peter Gilmore's in it. June Whitfield's in it. They were all in. Uh, John Pertwee's in it. He was in a few. <laughs> Frankie Howard was signed up, but uh, wisely died before it was made. <laughs> um, but the funny thing is, then that they they suck in all these sort of alternative comics oh, yeah. from the eighties. Yeah. 
So you have all these sort of anti-establishment figures like Rick Mayle and Julian Clary Alexis and Sale, I think. Alexis Sale, yeah, yeah, all that sort of. Lot. And but they're then in this big bawdy knockabout, <laughs> and it's rubbish. It's so terrible. I seem to recall, yeah. Yeah, because it's directed by Gerald Thomas, who directed loads of them as well. So it's not like they've made any steps forward in terms of <laughs> what they're doing. Uh, have you seen it, Steve-O? You've not seen it then? No, they're just awful, those films, aren't they? Absolutely dreadful. So, no, I haven't. No. Another one from 992 I've not seen. Yeah, My personal crusade never to immerse myself in the uh, cinema of that year. <laughs> yeah oh well i can't believe that uh, i almost missed that out there really <laughs> uh it does have a song in it by malcolm mclaren as well apparently so i somehow missed that aspect of it but uh, yeah. oh dear yeah i mean i'm not going to go through any more but i am slightly tempted to just do a load of research now and find out how badly it was received but i won't <laughs> we'll move on anyway this is actually a watershed moment for this podcast, then. It means that we can now, unless a new carry-on film comes out to trouble our attentions in the next few months, we'll not have to talk about carry-on again. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of a shame. I used to like talking about it. <laughs> well, I liked your guessing what they were called. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, no more. No, it's done. Tragic. Oh, there we go. Needless to say... They didn't have the last laugh because it wasn't that funny. No. <laughs> no one was laughing. No one. Yeah. So what was on TV is the question. What's What debuted in 1992? Oh, well, I want to start in America. So obviously, you know, the big hit in America over the last couple of years is The Simpsons. So everyone goes nuts trying to do quasi-adult slash family animation stuff. <laughs> and I discovered... So there's one I've heard of before called Capital Critters. Mm. which is an animation done by Hanna-Barbera, but but helmed by Stephen Bochco of Hill Street Blues fame. Oh, God. About animated, like, like little vermin that live under the White House and their lives. Okay. <laughs> Seven of 13 episodes were shown. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I also discovered one, another one by Hanna-Barbera animation that was trying to target that market called... <laughs> called Fish Police. Fish police. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing more to say, is there, really? Fish police. Well. I mean, wouldn't it be a strange world if if it was fish 2021 and fish police, were, fish police were still on and The Simpsons had been cancelled in 1990? Yeah, long since faded away, but thank goodness uh, for the cultural milestone that is uh, fish police, yeah. And well. I have a note here. Three episodes before it was axed. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, the other things I've mentioned are The Young Indiana Jones Chronicle, which... Oh, yeah. That was a bit boring, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bit of a craze, wasn't there, for doing The Young So-and-So and and all that stuff. It was all right, but, yeah. And um, the... It's not sitcom, the soap opera Melrose Place, which ran until 1999. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was quite a big one in America. What did we have in the UK? Well, in terms of soap operas, we had the glorious El Dorado. Oh, Oh, Lord. Blimey. Yes, that was an interesting one because we'd had some very well-established soap operas in the UK that had been running for decades, and then we had EastEnders in the 80s, didn't we? And then they tried to launch a new one, oh, um, yeah. and it just oh, it crashed and burned. The glamorous lives of expats. Um, yeah. 
they built an entire did they build an entire village basically for it? Oh, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me. Said it was ludicrous. Was it BBC or? Yeah. 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 It was incredibly expensive and it was just ridiculously terrible. Was it supposed to be like the Costa del Sol or something I like think that? So, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, that disappeared quite rightly too. <laughs> uh, we had the start of Absolutely Fabulous, which obviously runs for a while, goes away, comes back, etc. Big favourite of Lorraine's. We have. Music-wise, we have the start of Later with Jules Holland. Wow. Thus upping the level of boogie-woogie on TV (laughs) 3,000%. But uh, I'll give you a million pounds if you can guess any one of the four acts that was on the first episode of Later with Jules Holland. Um, Uh, I'm going to say Paul Weller. It's It's a good, wise guess. It's not right. Um, I am going to say... No, I've got no idea. <laughs> no. It was the Neville Brothers. Yeah. New Colours. N-U Colours. New Colours. Now, I don't know how to say this. De-influence? 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 Yeah, uh, yeah all of those. De-influence. D-influence. And yeah. uh, the Christians. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, that would have been a million... Yeah, you'd have to work hard for that. Yeah, yeah I don't know where you'd fit Boogie Woogie onto any of their tracks. Well, well you'd find a way. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> don't you worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Dinfluence with the Jules Holland Rhythm and Blues Orchestra. Anyway, anyway, it sounds like I'm being really rude about Jules Holland, but it's been a, it was quite an important thing for an opportunity to actually watch music, wasn't it? it was, yeah, absolutely. It, it was great to see quite a lot of those things. Some episodes better than others. What else have we got? We've got Men Behaving Badly, which oh, runs for ages on one channel with one actor, then changes and has been remade in America and all over the world. Heartbeat starts. Oh, which Lovely story of policing in the North Yorkshire Moors. Yeah, well. That ran for quite a long time as well. It it did, yeah, yeah. Survived many a cast change. Yep. The lovely countryside of the best part of the world, North Yorkshire. And we also, what else have we got? We have the adaptation of the Chamomile Lawn, which um, people watched not just for the nudity, I'm sure. (laughs) And we have the uh, Michael Gambon Maygray series. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I've sadly never seen. No, I, I saw it when it was on first time around. I remember when I've got some Amazon vouchers burning a hole in my pocket and I thought I might buy that on DVD or something. Because, yeah, it just it's one of those things. I don't remember it ever, ever, ever being repeated. No. Which is really odd given that ITV have got about seven channels devoted to reruns <laughs> of shite they've made in the past. Yeah. It's just weird, isn't it? It's really odd. Why Why would that be? I don't know. Given that ev- turn up on BritBox or something. Yeah, they've just got so much crime stuff they show all the time. It's just, it's really bizarre. Yeah. Because it was really good as well, so it's not as though they wouldn't show it because it was awful. Yeah. So yeah, a bit of an, a weird one, that. And the last one I want to mention is a programme called Games Master. Oh, oh fantastic. I Did mean, that just start in 1992? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you'd yeah you'd have thought you'd be older than that, but maybe not actually. Those graphics wouldn't have come cheap in the eighties, would they? For anyone who's never heard of Games Master, it was a 
program where people played computer games on different video systems uh, for the entertainment of the viewing public. But the important thing was the games master was world-renowned astrologer. Astronomer. Astrologer. Astrologer. <laughs> was world-renowned astrologer. Oh, God, he'd kill me. A man a who would have probably never operated a computer in his life, this guy. Astronomer. Astronomer. <laughs> world-renowned astronomer. I was thinking... Make sure you say the right one and then said the wrong one. Uh, <laughs> World-renowned astronomer Patrick Moore as the giant floating computer-enhanced head called the Games Master, which was just bizarre. Oh, dear. Sorry, Patrick. Yeah, a man who, as I say, probably never operated a computer in his entire life, I suspect. No, lots of charts and uh, pencils, I would have thought, for his, uh, yes. his observations over the oh, years. Absolutely. And I will quickly just pop over to Australia to mention Bananas in Pyjamas, <laughs> which was a kid's programme which went around the world as well. And we must go to Canada because I discovered one of my other favourite things in the world, which is a drama based around a band. So dramas based around people being in a musical group or band are always brilliant and terrible. Yeah. And this one is called Catwalk. Ooh. So there's a band called Catwalk and it's all about their dramas and their lives and their whatever. And I, just, it looks like it's all on YouTube. I watched some of the first episode of it. Oh God, it looks atrocious. Oh, it looks brilliant. Sounds wonderful. I would dig out Catwalk and, and just watch them playing a version of Money, That's What I Want in a really 80s sounding style, even though it's 1992. With Yeah. Can we just go back to... Um... Can we go back to Games Master? Because I've made yes, the mistake of clicking on, for example, the celebrity guest. Right? I'll give you a million pounds All right. if they, they're they from the sporting arena more than anything else. A, a celebrity guest. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll throw in season two as well. But season right. one. Well, can I guess uh, Kevin Keegan? Uh, no, but yeah, oh. you're not a million miles away from there. I'd have liked a million pounds. Stuart Pierce. No, you've got John oh. Fashnu, Eric Bristow. Oh, wow. <laughs> these are these are in no particular order. I'm just going for edited highlights here. Jimmy White, Kendo Nakasaki, episode yes. seven. Brilliant. Barry McGuigan. Series two opened up with Tony Slattery. Followed by Frank Bruno. You had to wait till episode six before Jim Duggan was on. Blimey. Bob Holness, episode 13. Fantastic. Vic Reeves on episode 19. Vic Reeves, then Gordon Burns, then East 17. (laughs) My God, brilliant. I just like the idea of Kendo Nagasaki playing... Alex Kidd in Miracle World yep. or something. Uh, <laughs> Randy Savage was episode 22 of season three. Wow. That's great. I assume they had the wrestlers on actually playing wrestling games, which would be, I hope be so, really yeah. fun. I hope Jimmy White was on playing Jimmy White's snooker. Yeah, well, it must have been. <laughs> yeah, Fan- fantastic. So. Oh, Anyhow. House. Strange times. Strange times. 
anyway, let's get on to our personal picks for 1992. And seeing as Steve has been so down on everything from 1992, mm. I'm going to go to him first to find out what what he's chosen for his music and his film. Well, the film, I really struggled with the film, and uh, I thought, yeah, I'll go with that. And then when we started this, I'd, I think I'd forgotten what I'd gone for because <laughs> it was so rubbish. I think I ended up going for um, Under Siege with uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. with. Uh, your man Seagal, but yeah, it's a pretty it good hilarious. film that actually, and uh, is obviously, needless to say, completely ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I just wasn't really inspired by any of the films. Is he a chef or something? Yeah, he is. Yeah, classic Gary Boosie oh, in yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's a chef. Yeah, <laughs> chef on a on a on a big ship. Uh, and Under Siege Two was then on a sh- on a tr- train, isn't it? Where he's on the train for some reason, but yeah, he's got good. He's got good Gary Boosie in playing a baddie. So yeah, I'll go for that. But fairly ridiculous. Well, Eric Eric Eleniak, who later turns up in some of the Eight Seventh Precinct adaptations as well. Um, whereas music was uh, a bit of a rip snorter of a year, I thought it was both very good for grungy stuff and also. I was having a look, a bit of a renaissance for metal as well. I was, I was thinking when I was looking through some other releases. Um, but I will cut to the chase, and I will go uh, "Blues for the Red Sun" by Caius, which is a, an absolute Oof. top album, in oh. my opinion. When I think Josh Homme is like nineteen or something when they brought that out, eighteen, just like ridiculously young. It wasn't even their first album as well, but yeah, a bit of a. Um, a, uh, a high watermark in stoner rock metal ish type stuff. Yeah, fair enough. Good so, choice. Good yep. choice. Ah, well, Morgan, then what have you what have you selected? Okay, yeah. Well, film wise, I mean, I, I, I think out of the the slim pickings of the year, probably my favourite film from nineteen ninety two is actually Wayne's World. But since we've already mentioned that, mm-hmm. um, I. To probably select uh, Army of Darkness, which I think came out that yes, year. Yes, yeah. Um, which you can't go far wrong with, really. Uh, no, it's any film that has a Welsh skeleton in it <laughs> running up to a camera and going, let's get out of here! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, t- terrific fun, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, always love the, that uh, Sam Raimi-Bruce uh, Campbell collaboration. It's always going to be good. The, subtitled The Medieval Dead. Yes. Yeah. It's great Indeed. film. Fantastic. Um, so that that's my film. And then uh, music-wise, uh, I am going to go for Copper Blue by Sugar. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. The, the debut album. It's a bit bit cheeky of me, really, because I already had a Bob Mould album in, in that I selected uh, a Husker Du record a few episodes ago. But... Um, yeah, Copper Blue, uh, it's, it's his new band Sugar. It's still kind of punky, but it's it's a bit more varied. There's some kind of uh, sort of semi-acoustic kind of jangly kind of pop music on there. There's some psychedelia. And it was, uh, at the time for me, like a really good sort of gateway record into sort of punkier territory. Yeah. Um, and it still stands up uh, tremendously well today. Well, Bob Moll's great. Yeah, excellent. Okay, well... My film, I struggled with film picks, to be honest, because, I mean, yeah, there are things like Wayne's World, which are great. I can say I did like, I like Alien 3, where no one else seems to. <laughs> um, I did consider Brain Dead, which is that oh, Peter course, Jackson yeah. film. 
Um, there's a film called Seed People, which is awful, but I have got that and own that. The Muppet Christmas Carol comes out oh, in 92, yeah. which is lovely. But in the end, I've settled on Porco Rosso, which is a Studio oh. Ghibli film about a Italian World War One flying ace who gets turned into a pig. <laughs> and mm. But it's Studio Ghibli, and so it's beautifully you know, drawn and animated, and the story's great, and it's just... I just love the feeling I get watching Studio Ghibli films, and it's yeah, it's it's really really good. So that's my pick for 1992 film wise. And I struggled again for a little bit with music because although there's some quite big and important albums in there, I was trying to think of one that really stood out for me or one that I would have listened to a lot. And there's you know there's only one really. I mean there's things like Dirty by Sonic Youth, which have since come to, which I really like. Yeah. There's an all right Ringo album from that year <laughs> as well. But there's Automatic for the People by REM. Oh. And so it's going to have to be that because that's, you know, that was one that made such a big difference to like, oh, people make music like this. Oh, yeah. You know, I'd not really heard any REM before I'd heard that. So that was a big significant one for me. I had it on cassette, copied off a friend. Oh. I don't think I've ever owned an actual version of it. Um, but yeah. It's, it was a huge album. It's a great album. So can't really argue with that little slice of college rock. No, nope, definitely not. Yeah, so there we go. That's Sounds 1992 awesome. taken care of. We've told people all about Games Master. Um, <laughs> and and, and uh, Rhubarb and Custard, of course. So mm. seems fair enough, doesn't it? It does. Right, well, we'll wrap it up there and uh, we'll be back for fun in 1993 with mischief for our next book and uh, our next load of cultural ephemera no more carry-on films uh, you know pray silence you'll see a, a big dip in listener numbers from, <laughs> from now on everyone's just been waiting for a carry-on columbus and uh, i almost missed it out terrible <laughs> terrible Hey-ho. <laughs> anyway, on that note, I'm going to say goodbye, goodbye, and I will offer Steve-O the opportunity to do so. Goodbye. And Morgan. Fairly well. Mm-hmm.